going, guys? Welcome back to the Optimized Self Podcast. Now, before we introduce our next guest, I just wanted to tell you guys that my new website is up and running in the next few days. Nearly finished it, and basically the website will have everything you need to know about me. It will have my programs, which are available to sell, my online programs, my pricing for my local one-on-one training if you live here in the western suburbs of Melbourne. It has a bit of my philosophy, what I'm about, and there's a link to my podcast. There's also a bit of a list of some resources that I use, some podcasts that inspire me, and some books that I have read over the years, some of my favorite material. So check it out. That will be www.optimizedself.com.au. Now, I wanted to explain one of the programs that I have been working on and I'll be releasing it soon. It's called the Optimized Man Program. Now this program is based on men and it's for men that have dealt with or who are dealing with body image issues. Basically, this is a personal um, subject for me because I dealt with body image issues growing up and into my 20s. I was obsessed with a certain part of my body. Now this is called body dysmorphic disorder when you're obsessed about a certain part of your body to the point that it affects you in ways such as being scared to go out in social situations, relationships may be affected. So you're obsessed about a certain part of your body and it becomes a negative, I guess, um, experience in your life. And I dealt with it for quite a long time. But one way that I came about and and overcame those issues was finally realizing that it wasn't all physical. Even though I worked on my body, I worked out a lot, I was disciplined, and I might have looked fit and strong, I was still very obsessive about a certain part of my body. And it wasn't until I started working on my mind and the thought patterns that I was using that I got a huge relief from what I was struggling with. And one thing was questioning my negative thought patterns if they were true or not. And all of them were false. And I replaced those negative thought patterns with positive thought patterns. So this is one thing that I do offer in the program is a custom workout for the uh, physical side of it. But also one of the most important things is I offer mindfulness practices to help people overcome those negative thought patterns and that self-doubt. Because basically I want men to be able to be confident, comfortable, feel strong, feel fit mentally and physically so you can live the best version of yourself possible, okay? We want to have a healthy relationship with exercise and we want to have a healthy relationship with ourselves, the people around us, the food we eat, the situations and experiences we have. So one thing that I offer in that Optimized Man program is different mindfulness practices that I give every two weeks, one of them being positive self-talk and another one that I really, really find effective for myself up until this day is journaling daily journaling which is very effective at clearing my mind getting my ideas out there decluttering my mental chatter and just trying to get things out without having to constantly keep them in my mind i can get them out on paper and i can read over them and see what's actually there and what's important and what isn't important so if that sounds something sounds like something that you're interested in and you're a man, um, check my website out. Check me on Instagram 
at optimize.self and I also have a Facebook page which you guys can check out, Optimize Self. Now, the next guest we have today is a man called Peter Gallagher, also known as That Heart Guy. I will give a bit of a plug to him at the end of the podcast, but basically Peter Gallagher was born with congenital heart disease and Peter had his first open heart surgery at the age of 13, which eventually led to him having five open heart surgeries throughout his life. He shares his story and it's a great story. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and I'll be speaking to you soon. Don't forget to create positive momentum and to continue to live the best life that you can. See you guys. Okay, um, welcome to the Optimize Self podcast, Pete. Thank you, thanks for having me along. It's all good. I've um, been wanting to get you on here for a while and uh, I'm glad we're finally doing it. Before I kind of get stuck into too many questions, I just I want you to give yourself a little bit of an introduction, you know, kind of um, a quick overview of your story and then we'll get into the details maybe. Okay. Um, well, I guess the main part of my story is around my heart health yep. and the, the journey of, of that. Yep. Um, so I was born with congenital heart disease um, and that kind of just developed into uh, a history of having open heart surgeries. Okay. So I'm now, if we, if we keep this kind of broad, I've, I've managed to survive five open heart surgeries. Okay. Having my first one when I was yeah, a teenager. Yep. And my last one just a couple of years ago. All right. And I'm no longer a teenager. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's that's the broad brush stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, why don't you take us back to um, you know, you're are you from Melbourne originally? No, I was born in Sale. In Sale. Yep. Here okay. in Victoria. Yeah. And you were born with we congen. How do you say it again? Sorry, con- congenital. Congenital so, heart disease. Yeah. So it's basically you're born with it. Okay. Can you run us through um, what that is? Okay, uh, what, what, what I had. Yep. Um, so anyone born with a heart condition, it's called congenital. Okay. Um, so I was actually born with a hole in my heart, and I was also born with what they call aortic stenosis. So it was my aortic valve, which should kind of be round. You know, I guess if you kind of think of it like a bit of PVC pipe. Yep. Um, if you were to kind of look and you could just see straight through it nice and clear. Um, and when the valve opens and closes, it should all be nice and smooth to, to see through. Um, and mine wasn't. It just kind of had, you know, bumps and lumps on it, okay. I guess, for want of a better way of saying it. Yeah. Um, the hole in my heart fixed itself by the time I was about two, which is apparently not uncommon. Okay. Wow. Um, but the other aspects, so the aortic valve aspect of it became part of you know the the problem I guess Um, so mum and dad started their trips to Melbourne which back then was you know three and a half four hour drive Mm. um, to the Royal Children's Hospital from when I was six months wow so for them I guess that was a bit of a shock they'd already had a couple of kids who were physically perfectly healthy yeah Um, and there's no history of heart disease in our family really and when I was born, I still even had some great grandmothers and fathers alive, so they were actually able to check our family history back a long, long way. Okay. No history, so I was just lucky. Wow. And are you the youngest? No. 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 Yeah. I was for nine or ten years. Okay. And my mum and dad had a couple more. Yeah. So I'm in the middle. 
So, from can you remember much from being that young and having to like make the trips to to the hospital regularly and some of the things that might the symptoms you might have had? For me, I, I do remember coming to Melbourne, yeah. and I guess because coming to Melbourne from sale was an event mm. back then. Um, and I don't know, I, I kind of think for, for me it was normal. And I often say this to people, you know, for me having a heart problem is kind of like having elbows. Mm. You know, it's just there. Um, so my normal was that once every six months or however often they deemed, we'd come to Melbourne and they'd do a series of tests and say, you're right, go home, or, or you're not right and we need to change some things. Um, in terms of symptoms, it was one thing that I always thought was really weird because my first open heart surgery, a lot of people said, you know, do you feel better? Mm. I was like, well, I didn't feel bad to start with. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. that was, that was a, a bit of a challenge, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so no, no real symptoms. But back then, uh, things were very, very different. So the doctors would s- mostly told me I wasn't allowed to play sport. Um, I think... Growing up, I think I had a very short period, and I'm going to say three or six months, yeah. where I was allowed to play sport. So I got one game of footy in, yeah. um, but essentially, you know, I was I was told to just sit. Yeah, um, I mean, it wasn't that dramatic, but you know, I was certainly not allowed to engage in in team yeah. contact sports. And the danger, run through some of the dangers. Why I know, like, I'm coming from a very kind of layman's point of view. Where I'm just trying to understand. The, the aspects of, of the situation. So what were some of the risks associated with you playing sports or getting the, the heart rate up? Yeah, uh, for all my experience, I, I, I can't kind of often come at it from a layman's perspective as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, look, I honestly don't remember what the reasoning was mm. for it. Um, it was, I recall it being about contact. Okay. Um, but I, I honestly can't recall why. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it's probably not the rules today. Mm. Kids would be highly encouraged to be active. Mm, for sure. I would think. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned, like, you ended up having your first open heart surgery. Did you say 16 or 17? 13. Oh, 13, sorry. 13 was my first one. Um, so tell us a bit about, like, leading up to that, you know, as you've, you've been living with it for a while, obviously forever, up until that point. Um, and what led to you having to get the surgery? What were the, what were the causes of it? Um, so I, my valve wasn't working as good as the doctors wanted it to work. Yeah. And I kind of think it might have been a bit of a preemptive strike um, because obviously being 13, they were assuming I was going to grow um, sensibly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the first surgery was... To, to basically stretch the valve, to try and just push it open okay. a little bit wider. Um, and, and I guess, I don't know if this is the right time too, to kind of explain that the aortic valve is the valve that opens and closes, that sends the blood through your body. Yeah. So obviously your oxygen. So when that's not working properly, you're not getting enough blood through your system, not getting enough oxygen. So yep. they were kind of, the, the theory was if they kind of ballooned it open a little bit, they could get more blood through and then put off having to replace it. Yeah. Again, I think the thinking back then was that replacing a valve was, you know, you, you were better off to delay that as, yeah, as, as yeah. long as possible. Yeah, it could have been a risk. 
Yeah, surgery. Um, well, I guess they also knew that there was always going to be more than one. Yeah, okay. Um, more than one replacement. Yeah. So they were kind of trying to buy time on cutting away at the heart, mm. effectively, I guess. Mm. Um, so, so that's what they did. Yeah. They, they ballooned it. Yeah. And like you said, you didn't feel any difference before, before or after. I felt different after because it bloody hurts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's... And, and again, if you want me to kind of talk about some differences of things, but back sure. then, um, you know, you were kind of told not to move too much and, um, you know, we were kind of sent home. I, was, I can't remember how long I was in hospital for, but probably seven, ten days, something like that. Then sent back to sale with an A4 sheet of paper with a, a list of exercises to do, yeah. which was primarily around stretching my chest okay. um, to try and, you know, to open all that up. Yeah, um, which is quite painful when you've had your rib cage cut open with mm. a bandsaw and then mm. put back together again. Um, so that was, you know, the outcome there. I guess was really just trying to get back into life pain free. Um, I spent a lot of time walking. My grandmother lived around the corner. Yeah. So I'd walk around and visit her a couple of times a day. And yeah. Wasn't long I was back at school. Okay. What year was this? Sorry, if you don't mind, I might be asking. <laughs> trying to age me. Uh, 1985. Okay. Um, I guess we can get into the types of surgery and technology that you might be aware of. Like, you know, like you said back then, they would have had a different view of how to deal with those situations and those surgeries. Um, so after that surgery, you got back into school and life. Um, you did, and you just felt similar to, to how you did before. Like you went like, oh my God, could you feel any difference between like, you know, if it was going, getting your heart rate up or running or how your breath was, you didn't notice much at all. No, and again, I wasn't allowed to play sport. Yeah. So that was still, yeah. um, I was a really skinny kid. So I guess in terms of, you know, not that weight was a challenge for the community back then, I guess. Yeah. But um, no, it just, uh, the only real difference that I noticed was um, intellectually okay um, so I found that I went from being quite good at maths to being quite bad at maths really and I, re I recall one of the school principals pulling mum into a meeting with me and saying that in his experience and he was an older guy um, when kids go through a trauma they'll generally come back fine and he, in his experience he said that it's usually just one subject that falls away yeah. And for me, that happened and it was maths. Okay. So, but physically, I mean, it takes a couple of months and you're back to mm. normal. Mm. Did you um, find any other, like, <clears throat> hobbies and interests because, you know, you weren't allowed to go outside and be physical or play football mm. or cricket? Did you find other passions in, in other avenues? Yep. Um, I went to an all-boys school. So not being allowed to play sport was, you know, mm. shock horror for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the brothers weren't real thrilled yeah. about that um, I had a teacher who then just kind of said well let's put him in the debating team and the public speaking stream okay and that's kind of what I did um, and by year 12 I was representing Australia public speaking um, you know I guess that became what I was good at yeah as yeah, opposed nice. to focusing on health yeah um, or fitness I should say yeah can you, were you on medication from that, from a young age because of your surgeries or your heart condition? No. No. 
No. I assume, from you know, thinking back to it, you know, there would have been a series of, of drugs mm. immediately post-surgery, but yeah. not, not long-term. Okay, okay. Um, so <clears throat> getting through to the next stage of, like, life, and were you, were you dealing with anything leading up to, like, when you had graduated high school and you're in your 20s with, you know, any, any um, issues around it or you still felt like you were, you were fine and you were norm- healthy? Yeah, I, yeah, I was, you know, a normal guy in his 20s in the big city. Yeah. Because I'd moved to Melbourne by then. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I just misbehaved like everyone else. Yeah. Um, I didn't do drugs. Yeah. Um, although there wasn't as much of a culture of it back then. Yeah. But it was one thing I did stay away from. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I misbehaved with alcohol and, you know, partied too hard. Yeah. But again, uh, I, I guess I didn't have a mindset around fitness and mm. I didn't have a mindset around, um, you know, having to do any of that sort of stuff with my life. Mm. I was just, again, I was still a skinny guy. Mm. Um, and for me, my, my surgery that I had in 2001, when I was 26, 27, um, I did notice for the first time um, that I was breathless. Okay. Um, and again, that goes back to that whole notion of the aortic valve not working properly. Okay. Um, was this your second surgery? No, that was my third. Okay. So I had one when I was 16 as well. Okay. Do you want to tell so, us a little bit about that? Um, so, yep, the, they, they, they discovered that the stretching of the valve, which had done its job to a degree, but when they'd done that, they'd put a hole in the valve okay. inadvertently. The other flip of that was, after that surgery when I was 13, was that I grew. So I kind of went from being the short kid in the f- school photo holding the sign yeah. um, <clears throat> to the tall kid at the back of the wow. class. So I think that kind of created a few challenges as well. Because With your I, heart I, growing, the valves trying to expand yeah, itself. And my, yeah, and my body just... And it was quite odd that I went from being the small kid to, to being quite tall. Yeah, yeah. Especially in comparison to the rest of my family. I'm even head and shoulders above them. Wow. It's quite, kind of odd. Yeah. Um, so that surgery was a another open heart. And this time they replaced the valve totally um, with another human valve. Yeah. Um, and I had that surgery in... The middle of January, yeah, and then I started Year Twelve in the February. Okay. So I stupidly went back to school about three weeks after my open heart surgery. Nice. Yeah, yeah. to the um, VCE. Yeah, put a bit of stress on yourself. Yeah, it wasn't very smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it the same thing though? Like after that surgery, after you'd recovered from the surgery itself, you still felt the same as you did before? Like there was the improvements or the non-improvements were, it was, it was just pretty neutral, was it? Yeah, for me, that's probably yeah. a good word to use. Yeah, cool. Um, and year 12 went all right? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, I passed, so yeah. that, that's a good thing. Um, but no, I guess I kind of learned in hindsight, and I think it even took after, until after my third heart surgery to really, for this to, to click that you actually really need to respect your body and mm. give it time to recover. Okay. So I was kind of tired for all of year 12. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I'd probably even waited another couple of weeks, it could have made a massive yeah. difference. But I was 
you know, a teenager and wanted to do what I wanted to do. And get it done, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and all of mum's, mum and dad saying, you're not going back to school. And I was like, well, I'm not staying here either. So mm. I went. Yeah. And then moved to Melbourne and then it, you know, fast forward to, was it 26, the third, third surgery came around. Yep. And what was the story around that one? So, again, it was basically when they replaced the valve, it has a lifespan. Okay. They, they normally say 10 to 15 years. Yep. Um, and, and, again, as I said, I, this was the first time I'd actually felt yeah. it not working. Yeah. Whether that was because it had been left a bit longer. Okay. Um, which I don't think so. I still had my annual or six-monthly checkups yep. with cardiologists and, um, you know, did all the right things, except for misbehaving. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I could actually find walking, so from one corner to the other in the city was a challenge. It was exhausting. Yeah, okay. I'd literally have to you know, stop at each corner. Yeah, and is it, it's a shortened, a shortened breath, like you've almost done like a 10 minute warm up or you know, you've yeah. been skipping for you know, 10 minutes. Yeah, I'd put it in the skipping category okay. rather than a warm up category. Yeah. So it was quite pronounced. Yeah, wow. Um, and it got to the point where I couldn't work. Okay. Um, because just getting to work was exhausting. Mm. So, and I, I mean, I worked in an office, so mm. it wasn't like I had a physical job. Mm. So yeah, so it was, th- that was for me the first time having open heart surgery seemed to have a reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with that one, they replaced the human valve with a pig one. A pig one. Yeah. Okay. So. I've had a bit of a buffet. So now I'm going to ask you, does a pig valve feel any different to a human valve or is it better? No, no. I think it's the same. Yeah. You kind of struggle that first mouthful of bacon afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, uh, look, and I'm not really sure why they chose a pig valve. Yeah. Um, but they did. Yeah, wow. So, and again, in hospital, I think I went in on the Monday morning or the Sunday afternoon or something, had the surgery on the Monday. I was home on the Friday. Okay. So in and out pretty quickly. And you took a long time to recover after that one? You took your time that you needed? No. <laughs> um, yes, I took a long time. And yeah. no, I didn't take the time that I needed. Okay. Um, again, I was kind of missing life. Mm. And the fact I could walk and breathe um, was exciting. Mm. I, had, um, I mean, after each surgery, you have a lot of physical pain. But I mean, you just soldier on, I guess, with mm. that. <clears throat> but I was keen to get back to work and, you know, get back to life really did you do you feel like you have a, a new lease on life or is it something that you were used to that was just the recovery process you were used to and getting back with with life was just what you were kind of you it was normalized for you a bit or did you feel oh. fresh and ready to just like jump out of your how do you say no i think for want of a better use of the word problem but i think the problem mm. is or was was that no one talked about it okay you know you weren't act- actively encouraged to to let your body recover, you were kind of just set free. Okay. Um, and when I was set free, I was just like, well, I'm going back to work. Yeah. So, so there was no guidelines or discussions going on with like, hey, this is a really way, good way of recovering. These are the steps I took, or you know, these are the, the exercises or the mindfulness stuff you should do. There was nothing like that at all. Well, mindfulness probably wasn't a word yeah. <laughs> back yeah, then. Yeah. Um, and. <clears throat> That I had opportunity to engage in rehab, yeah. Um, but I was twenty-seven, 
and I went to a rehab class and I was surrounded by 70 year old people. Okay. So, and I was already steps ahead of these mm, people mm, anyway. Mm. Um, so that, that seemed kind of worthless to me. Mm. Um, but no, there wasn't lots of opportunity to have conversations with people about the shoulds, you know, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and again, I, whether I would have taken any notice is questionable yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I spent, I think, probably six months at home yeah, prior right. to surgery, so I was ready to rock and roll again. Yeah. Um, were you on any medications then at all, or was it just recovery? Um, I think from there they put me on Panadol, yeah. or aspirin, sorry, aspirin, aspirin. Yeah. Um, and a blood pressure pill, but that was all, because okay. something had happened with, during the surgery and affected the, the way my heart was functioning. Okay. Again, I can't remember what that was. Yeah. So I've kind of been on aspirin and on blood pressure drugs since then. Okay. What about your, like going through all this, you know, as a, a t- young man, um, can you remember what your, like your mental state was or the, the mental strengths or weaknesses you might have had to deal with? Because I mean, it's not necessarily a normal thing to have to go through. Um, can you, can you dissect that at all? Or did you have any kind of, uh, you know, thoughts or, you know, down times that you can remember that you had to deal with or struggles? Um... No, and, and again, I think the times were different. And even 2001 doesn't sound like that long ago. Mm. Uh, but we have evolved in the way we look after people when they've been sick or mm. are sick or when they need to recover and how they recover. Mm. And we do include things around... Um, well, actually, we, we're not good at it, actually. I should rephrase that. I kind of have this view, and it's not a slight... But my view is that a lot of the medical world views your recovery from heart surgery and probably lots of surgeries on what I call the lift heavy things theory. Okay. It's like, oh, you can, you can lift that? Good, you're, you're okay now, off you go. Yeah. Um, you know, or you can walk that distance, that's good, off you go. Um, you know, we'll set you free. And again, we're only now starting to have conversations around the, the impact that... Mm. that it's a trauma. You oh, can't describe sure. it any other way. It's a trauma. Um, and we are now having conversations about the fact that the surgery affects you. Um, it, it affects your capacity in terms of your intellect. It affects you emotionally. It can affect you sexually, spiritually. Mm. Um, it's, we're, we're getting better at talking about that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I know that one of the big challenges that a lot of the medical field don't like to talk about for some strange reason is that after open heart surgery, um, people can become quite forgetful. Okay. Um, and they say that you can eventually kind of rebuild from that. And when I look back over the years, that's actually happened to me. Mm. Although I wasn't until my last surgery and I've now learnt some stuff and looked back and gone, oh yeah, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, and I can remember, for example, after one of my surgeries, being at the supermarket and, and knowing that my brain wasn't working properly. Because yeah, well, I was looking at a zucchini and I'm looking at it going, I know what you are. Yeah. I actually call them my zucchini moments now because yeah. I, still, I still have them. Um, where I was just standing there going, I know what you are. And I cannot get the word from my brain to my mouth wow. to say the word zucchini. Yeah. Um, 
So there's, there's a real movement now around acknowledging the impact. Okay. And I'm not sure if it's the surgery because, or, or if it's the um, anaesthetic. Mm. There's talk around, for heart surgery, uh, there's, they call it pump head. Okay. Um, because when, you're, when you have open heart surgery, they turn your heart off. Oh, wow. And so obviously to keep you alive, they have to keep pumping blood through you. Through your brain. Yeah, wow. So you're on what used to be called the heart-lung machine. Yep. So, but you know, it kind of pumps the blood through your brain. And there's lots of schools of thought around how that can affect you. Can, can affect your, yeah. your, your intellectual capacity. Um, well, it's not normal for your heart to be not working for, say, five minutes, whatever it is they do it for. Hmm. So I'm sure there's more and more research coming out today that is showing what happens and you know you're obviously someone who can talk from experience but yeah, I haven't never thought about it like that and, and it's not five minutes yeah it's hours and hours wow um, in lots of cases um, so yeah you're, you're, and, and again I guess we don't know is there an impact with the blood that's actually outside the human body and then getting pumped into your brain because it's going through a machine yeah so you know there's plastics and metals and yeah, I imagine glues and all sorts of stuff in there. Yeah, um, that you know, does that have an impact? So there's a conversation happening about that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, particularly in um, within the patient community, for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, and slowly but surely, I think the medical people are coming on board for it. Yeah. And just a quick plug: there is a guy I know here in Australia who's doing a documentary on it. Okay. Currently, because it does seem that. You know, patients are talking about it now. Yeah, yeah. Do you know his name or the name of the doco? Or um, I do know his name. Um, his name's Andrew Pike. Andrew Pike. I'm not sure if he's got a name for it yet. Yeah. You could look him up and probably find what he's working on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Cool. Absolutely. Um, he's he's on Facebook and whatever. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, like it's obviously. You know, I've never had any heart issues like that, so mm. I to think about it in that way, it's yeah, it blows my mind. Um, so 26, you've had your, your third open heart surgery. What was life after, after that for, you know, and up leading up until your next open heart surgery? Do you want to run through a bit? Yep. So after that surgery, it wasn't long after that I met my partner, Stephen. Yeah. Um, and I kind of thought he was weird that he found me interesting when my chest was still a little bit sore. It's yeah. like, I kind of, I'm not saying it was a turn on, but, you know, I kind of thought that doesn't really make me a saleable product. <laughs> but anyway. Um, Look at my scars. Yeah. And so I guess for the next, well, my next surgery after that was 2011. So I guess life during that period um, was a series of highs and lows. And what I mean by that is, you know, we were having lots of fun and, you know, drinking too much. And again, still being in our 20s and early 30s. But again, being responsible, you know, we bought a house and got the dogs and the picket fence and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, and, but yeah, I guess life was just kind of normal, mm. for want of a better word. Mm. Um, and it was in that period that I started to put on weight for the first time in my life. Between the third and the fourth. Yep. Yeah. Um, and when I look back at some photos, you actually don't even recognize that it's me. I'd actually put on a lot of weight. Okay. Um, and I guess I didn't even really comprehend what was happening because it just kind of happens around you. 
in some respects. Mm. Um, so during that time, I discovered that you know maybe it's time for me to put my, my foot into a gym. Okay. So I eventually did that and then got a personal trainer. Um, and so by 2011, early, late 2010, early 2011, I was, I was super fit. Okay. Super, super fit, um, if I may say so myself, looking the goods. Um, and was thoroughly enjoying that whole fitness health regime yeah. and, and was right into it. Yeah. And there was one day, it was February 2011, it was a Friday, I was dressed ready to go for work. And just went, I don't feel right. Yeah. So I called in sick, which was unusual for me. Yeah. Because I understand the value of having a, a bank of sick days mm. <laughs> in your back pocket. Mm. So I was never one to waste them. Um, and I went to bed for three days. Wow. Thinking I had the flu. You were just tired, just oh, wrecked? No, hotting and colding. Oh, and, wow. And, and the sweat was unbelievable. Um, and you know aches and pains, but I just thought it was the flu. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Um, and and again, I, I kind of didn't. In hindsight, because Stephen even said, you know, whenever you were sick, you didn't stop. You know, mm. if you stayed home sick for a day, I'd, he'd come home and I'd the house would be clean. The house would be clean. Yeah. The fact that I'd stayed in bed for three days should have been a, a red card, okay. I guess, or flag. Um, on the Monday morning, really, really early in the morning, I went to get up and to go to the loo or whatever. And the pain that went through my legs, I could hardly walk. Um, well, I, I literally couldn't walk really. Um, and so tried to get Stephen, because he was in the spare room, of course, um, and couldn't wake him. I rang him, he had his phone on silent. Heavy sleeper. Yeah, oh, and door shut and yeah, all that sort of yeah. stuff. And there's a lesson in that too, is that even if your partner's sick, you should sleep in the same room as them, even yeah. if you're on the floor. Yeah. Um, and so I had to kind of crawl up the hallway and, and wake him, and I kind of said, oh, I think it's time to go to hospital. Um, we got there, and they said, had, well, eventually, after doing some tests, they kind of said, if you'd have been two hours more, you wouldn't be here. Whoa. So I had um, a, a, a bug that had got into my system and attacked my heart. Wow. Well, actually, it hadn't attacked my heart. It attacked my entire body. So, and this particular bug, apparently, once it gets into your body, like most bugs, it goes looking for points of weakness, and then just this, and then it just starts attacking, attacking. So for me, my heart was it had foreign bits in it. Mm. So they're like, hey, let's go and play in here. Mm. Wow. So I spent a couple of weeks in hospital on antibiotics, and then I spent a couple of months at home on antibiotics where yeah. you know, the nurse would come around and change the line. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting time. So it was February and I think I got back to work full time in about the August. Okay. So it was a very, very slow recovery. Yeah. Um, and and you, were, you were early 30s, mid 30s by now? 2011? Yeah. Or late 30s. Late 30s, yeah. yeah. So... Um, but anyway, I was lucky that the antibiotics worked. Yeah. And we were able to kill this bug off. It was a, a strep. Okay. Um, one, of, one of the strips. Um, <clears throat> and we still don't know how I got it. And, you know, there's obviously lots of questions I ask around dentistry and travel and cats and things. You were living the life too. So, you know, partying a bit and enjoying well, yourself. Well, kind of wasn't by then. I'd stopped. Okay. So, so being healthy doesn't, isn't always good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And so, yeah, so I kind of went through all that process. And I, I can remember being in Sydney for work and I was managing a, like a team day. Yeah. You know, and had this hall full of people. And, you know, I was kind of emceeing the day and, you know, other people coming in and managing stuff. And I was walking up and down this big conference room and I kind of realised at one stage that I could hardly breathe. Mm. I'm like, oh, well, this isn't good. And then back to Melbourne a couple of days later and one of my colleagues and I were walking to the office together and he's like, you can't breathe, Pete. I'm like, yeah, I probably should go to the hospital. Okay. Um, and so did that and discovered that my valve needed replacing again. Now, again, there was a timeline that was there anyway. That's a long, that was a longer period, that yeah. one? Yeah. But, um, but I was kind of in that window yeah. where it was to be expected. And yeah. the fact that I'd made it through the illness early in the year, which was called endocarditis, by the way. Okay. Um, the fact that I'd made it through that endocarditis phase without needing surgery yeah. is very uncommon, okay. I've since learnt. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was... I guess lucky mm, <laughs> that yeah. I got to have another stay in hospital. Mm. Um, so yeah, went in. I was in hospital for thirty days prior to the surgery, and during that time, um, I had all of my wisdom teeth removed. Okay, why is that? <laughs> um, because there's a direct correlation between the health of your mouth and the health of your heart, or wow. well, there can be. Um, so if you have um, gum disease or you know, anything going on in your mouth that's not good, there's, I want to say arteries, is that the right word? That so go from your mouth directly to your heart. Yeah. So if you have a disease in your mouth, it can actually feed via blood straight into your mm. heart. There's a higher risk, especially in your case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a risk for everybody. Yeah. And again, that's all layman's terms. So if anyone's listening and they, I've got that wrong, I apologise. But, um, but yeah, it's effectively, you know, this is a breeding ground for. Yep. Sorry. Your mouth is a breeding, breeding ground, potentially for disease into your heart. Mm, wow. Um, so to answer your question, the reason why my teeth were removed was so that it didn't have to happen in the future. Um, a to avoid. Um, any possibility of getting endocarditis again because okay. once you've had it once you're at a high risk <clears throat> and B um, because the surgeon had decided he was going to put a mechanical valve in yeah and he if you have a mechanical valve you're on blood thinners okay so hacking away at your mouth yeah um, in the future when you're on blood thinners is probably not a good idea okay he did also make that decision to take my teeth out at nine o'clock the night before I was scheduled for my open heart oh, surgery. So that was double dose. Yeah, that was lovely. But um, that is what it is. Um, so yeah, so that's that was your fifth one. No, well, that was your fourth. That was my fourth. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so my fourth one was was interesting too. Insofar as I, I've kind of been this guy that just lets things happen around me when it comes to my health in some respects. Yeah. Um, you know, I have never really asked a lot of questions which in hindsight, I probably could have done better. Um, but anyway, the surgeon had said to me, I'm gonna put a mechanical valve in, the chances of you ever needing another open heart surgery after you have a mechanical diminishes greatly. All right, you know, we'll send you on your way. Um, but what he didn't tell me um, was that a mechanical valve clicks. Okay. Um, so that was really challenging after that because 
I hate the sound of ticking clocks. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and I've often told people the story of when I used to travel for work, and I love watches, but in a hotel room, I would take my watch off and put it in my toiletry bag and put it, if there was one, in the cupboard in the bathroom mm. and shut the bathroom mm. door. That's how much I hate clicking. Yeah, wow. So to wake up and just from inside, all you can hear is clicking and clicking and it's in your ears and it's in your throat and it's... Go everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that was something for me that was quite a surprise. Yeah. And not a good one. Wow. What did you... How, how did you go about dealing with that? Were you... Were you starting to bring in any... Obviously, you were saying you were fit and healthy leading up to that. Um, were you developing any other, like, practices because of your condition to, like, have to deal with, you know, the stresses of surgery or now the clicking? Like, were you, were you gathering tools, for, you know, to help you get through these certain, you know, not, situations? Not, not consciously. Yeah. Um, I think the thing with the clicking was because the surgeon came in to see me... Um, you're like, something's wrong. <laughs> well, the very first time he, he came in, that I recall anyway, and he was all happy as Larry and he's all like, oh, this, the operation was a success, it's great, blah, blah, blah. Do you have any, any questions? And I said, it's about this ticking noise. Wow. And he just kind of looked at me for about 10 seconds and then got this big grin on his face and he said, it's wonderful, isn't it? Ah. Oh. And I went, yeah, Peter, stop complaining. Because uh. so without the clicking, no heart. There you go. So um, I've kind of kept that. And I can still see him. He's a big, fat guy. Um, I can still see him just being so impressed so with himself and yeah. so happy. Um, but in terms of practical, you know, do I go off and, and meditate? Mm. Um, well, I try to meditate and all I can hear is clicking. Mm. Um, so that's not a good, good one for me. Mm. Um, but I guess for me, I try and be physical if I need to, to kind of get everything to line up, you know, my mind and my, my body to line up. Mm. And that, when I say physical, I just walking just getting know. out yeah yeah it can be as simple as that yeah for sure and for people who've had open heart surgery it is you know often the number one thing they say is go for a walk yeah yeah you know, you've got to get up and walk yeah Whereas back in the day they never said that but now yeah. it's very get the blood flowing yeah um just i want to take a quick step back because you said you kind of fell in love with fitness and training because you'd put on a fair bit of weight did, yep. you, did you notice any of the extra weight on top of you or on was there any pressure, more pressure on your heart or your breathing? Did you notice anything like that when you put on weight? No, and, and I guess in some respects, you know, once my heart's immediately fixed post-surgery, I guess, it's the same as yours. Yeah. You know, um, so does it impact me any differently to you? Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, did I notice it? I probably noticed challenges that weren't heart-related. They were weight-related. Yeah. Um, so and I, and I guess for me it was a bit of a kick up the bum yep. um, because obviously I need to look after my body you know well everyone does but certainly with a heart condition you kind of you, you don't want to end up in hospital um, with something going wrong mm. and throwing in the additional challenge of being of, overweight, of being overweight. Yeah. Um, they actually said that I probably survived that year because I was so fit okay Wow, um, you know, and that first part of that year with the endocarditis, um, the, the comment was made: you're, "You're you're damn lucky, you're fit." Yeah, true. So there you go, it pays yeah. off. Yep, certainly does. Um, before we get on to kind of the next uh, phase after that surgery, 
Um, what about like nutritional habits and eating habits? Did, did you ever take on board eating specific foods for heart health um, at all through like, you know, leading up to that fourth surgery? Um, I think I've always eaten quite well. Yeah. Um, and I think when I go through, when I've, because I, mean, I still struggle with weight now a little bit, but we can, you know, talk about the reasons for that later, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've always eaten reasonably well. Um, I, I love cooking. I enjoy cooking. Um, so specifically, probably not. Yeah. Do I, do I know what I'm meant to eat? You know, kind of that whole meat, three veg kind of, you know, I, I'm a believer there's something to be said for that. Mm, um, for sure. And so, so again, not consciously, but um, I certainly am not the guy that goes out and eat, eats chocolate every day mm. or, you know, does all those bad things mm. on, on a regular basis. Mm. But it's not like you're like, I need to eat more tomatoes because they're good for heart health. It was more of this general healthy eating and looking after myself. Yeah, of course it's going to be good for your organs, your heart, your brain, you know, yep. your well-being. But yeah, I, I think <clears throat> again, it's one of those things for me that it kind of it's, it gets back to that theory, I guess, of having heart disease for me is like having elbows. Mm. So some of that stuff is probably really ingrained for me anyway. Mm. Um, you know, that if you, we would open my closet now, my closet, my pantry, <laughs> get out of my closet. <laughs> <laughs> But if we open the, open the pantry now, you would see that there's quite a broad range of, of, of good things in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got pulses and oats and, yep. you know, all, all the good things. Yeah. Open the fridge and you'll find fruit and veg and yogurt and, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's all there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so you had, this is your first mechanical valve. Yeah. So tell us a bit about the mechanical valve or... You know, um, life after the me- or with the mechanical valve. Sorry. Well, your friends sing the song Titanium to you a lot, okay? Because they think they're funny, yeah, uh, <laughs> and they're not. Um, with the mechanical valve, again, it's you can have some fun with it <laughs> for a start, because um, people can often hear it and not know what they're hearing. Mm. Um, and if I could quickly segue, we went off and did one of those, you know, ghost tours one night. And they were trying to bring a ghost into the room, and suddenly everyone was quiet. Yeah, and all these people were talking about there's a ghost ticking, ticking. It's ticking. Can everyone hear it ticking? (laughs) Giggling. Uh, Yeah, I'm just like, "Uh, it's not really. (laughs) But anyway, they were having fun. Um, Life with a mechanical valve, I guess, is somewhat challenging, Um, and but but not. So you end up on blood thinning drugs or drugs to keep your blood at a at the right level. and you need to be mindful what you do with your body because of those. Okay. Um, what I mean by that is you, your diet needs to be reasonably consistent because if you suddenly change, um, you know, suddenly start eating Brussels sprouts every day, um, they'll have an impact on your blood if you don't normally eat Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Um, so that, that could be quite challenging for some people because uh, you have to go and have regular blood tests and they give you a reading on what your blood comes out at and then the dose of, of the warfarin, which is the drug. Um, so for some people, they do find that quite challenging. Mm. I work on the theory that I'll dose the diet. I'm not going to diet the dose. Mm. And that gives me some freedom. 
Okay. So if I just if I suddenly look back and go, oh, bugger, I've so I, I've suddenly started eating too many Brussels sprouts. I'll just go off and get my blood tested and you know, check up and get get the dosage changed okay. if it needs to be. Um, so yeah, life with a mechanical valve can be difficult that way, and some people do find it quite challenging. A lot of people find the clicking mm. initially more so, but a lot of people find it just dreadfully debilitating. Mm. Um, I've kind of got used to it, mm. um, mostly. Um, and the other thing you need to be mindful of, which again isn't really the, the, the valve, but it's the drums that you're on, so you bruise really easily. Okay. Um, if you bash your head, um, which I've done a couple of times, um, you've got to go off to hospital to make sure you don't end up with a brain bleed. Okay. Um, and this is all because of the, the blood thinning of the yeah. medication? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's got to do with the mechanical valve and yeah. it's all inter- interrelated. But I guess, I guess the reality is the mechanical valve is meant to be your, um, you know, set you free. You don't need any more yeah. surgeries. Um, and, and again, they tend to put them in people who are older. One, because you've stopped growing. Um, and two because long-term these drugs aren't meant to be good for you. Mm. Um, but we should see. Yeah. So you were in your late 30s, you got that valve put in, had your teeth taken out, yep. and you were getting on with life. Um, how long was it until, you know, you had to, you know, you had to revisit again? Actually, let me, let me take a step back. What was your lifestyle leading up, you know, coming into that, that fifth surgery, were you you were really back into your health and fitness? Why don't you give us a bit of yep. bit of insight there? Um, so again, I'd kind of got back into um, you know, going to the gym pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, it was in October two thousand and twelve. I started seeing a new personal trainer. Yeah. Again, so I kind of got back into that. Um, and spent, you know, I, I continued to see him actually only up until last year. Um, you know, so fortnightly seeing him and really developing, um, I guess, more functional kind of stuff. So prior to 2011, I think what I was trying to do was to look really good. Mm. Um, and this, you know, who doesn't want to? Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, once you're kind of that little bit older and a little bit more sore and broken, um, things do become about functionality. Mm. So a lot of the time that I spent with the personal trainer was around just being able to make sure that I could just, you know, lift things properly. Mm. And, and feel good. Yeah. yeah. But also to learn those things around, those habits around lifting so that when you're at home and you're in the shed and you've got to pick something up, you don't hurt yourself yep. you're, you know you've got the skills to do all that yeah. sort of stuff you've got the habits of squatting properly and yep. you know pushing yourself above your head yep. yeah so again for, for me with with that a lot of that was around movement as around as opposed to cardio um, yeah. exercise yeah but we go through stages too where I decide I wanted to run and mm. so we, we do a bit of running what kind of things do you have to be mindful of with your condition and exercise now, um, part of the challenge is that I have a fair bit of pain. Okay. Um, 
and particularly my lower back um, and my chest are probably the two the main things. Yeah. So when you've had your, I guess when you say open heart surgery, a lot of people probably just go, yep. Um, but what it actually does mean is that your, your chest, your, your sternum, your chest bone is cut open mm. and your ribs are ripped out, you know, to the side of you. Um, and then at the end of the, the heart surgery, the, the cardiac surgeon, with all due respect to cardiac surgeons, they're interested in your heart health. Um, so they kind of flick you back together again and wire your ribs back together again. Mm. Um, and they're never going to be able to put that back together 100% the way it was and the way nature intended it to yeah, be. Yeah. So again, a lot of people after one open heart surgery, two maybe, you know, aren't going to notice the things that I've, I've noticed. Mm. But f for me, they're the kind of things that I need to be quite mindful of is that, you know, there's, there's a bit of pain going on. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, so when I exercise, it's around doing what I can. Okay. As opposed to doing what I want to do. What about in terms of like um, blood pressure and heart rate and stuff like that? Are you, it's okay, like you can be pushed quite hard sometimes and get your, your solid cardio workout in. Yeah, but it doesn't take much. Yep. Um, so we obviously monitor my heart rate when I'm doing training. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, it does actually, it sparks pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So how long was it until you had to, to visit the surgeon again? Was it another 10 year period or was it another? I wish, no. Because um, now you have the mechanical heart, it was supposed to be done and dusted. Yep. Um, mechanical two, valve, sorry. You're right. <laughs> uh, 2014, and we were having our house renovated, or we were just about to. No, it had started, and we'd spent the day at home one day. We had some sparkies here, and for whatever reason, took the day off work. and. Um, they were doing everything they needed to do. And then we went out for dinner with some friends and I was sitting at the table and just suddenly went, I am freezing. And then, and it was a, a, a really weirdly warm day. It was mm. nearly sort of kind of like today where it was a chill, but the sun's out. And, um, and then I was sitting at the table and I just started violently shaking, wow. um, which was one of the things that happened the first time around. And Stephen, just took one look at me and he goes, oh no. And I'm like, oh no. So went to ER and said to them, I think I have endocarditis again. Oh, okay. And that's one way to get sent straight round into the, yeah. <laughs> in through those folding doors. Yeah. Um, and their initial, because to diagnose that actually takes a couple of days. Okay. Um, but their initial reaction is to just start pumping you full of antibiotics. antibiotics. Yeah. So they literally just, you know, put the line in and put the bags of antibiotics up and off they go. Yeah. Um, and so we were kind of going through that process and I'd been in hospital for a week or two and they'd done a camera down the throat and had a look at my heart and they were kind of like, it was all okay. And then they did it a second time and they realised that the bug had come back and it was the same one. But during my previous surgery, they'd actually rebuilt 
my aorta itself, so not just the valve. And they'd kind of just made it out of Dacron, so material, mm. effectively. Um, and they discovered when they cut me open the next day um, that my aorta was basically gone. Wow. Um, so again, I reckon if they'd have waited 24 hours, Jesus, it would have, it would have been lights out. So someone's looking after me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they, they kind of went back in and had to, uh, fortunately it hadn't gone anywhere near my mechanical valve, so they could leave that alone. But they had to re rebuild the, the aorta. They had to pull it all out, scrape all the bacteria away, all the infection away. Something was wrong with my pulmonary valve, so they fixed that. Mm. So what they thought would be a four or five hour operation was 10 or 11 hours. Whoa. Um, and during that process, I had a stroke and died a couple of times and blah, blah, blah. Wow, during the surgery? Yeah. Wow. So when I woke up in intensive care, well, before I, before I can recall waking up in there, um, there was apparently a few days of, of me being non-compass, you know, just grunting. And, yeah, wow. And I'd lost um, movement down my right side. But that came back reasonably quickly. <coughs> I still have some challenges with my with it but they came back reasonably quickly so yeah. that's good yeah um so yeah so that, that's how i ended up back for number five wow so how was that recovery awful yeah welcome to it i'm yeah. still doing it yeah um, so yeah that was 2014 yep yep so i you know i actually ran into my surgeon by coincidence a couple of weeks ago my last surgeon because i had a few um and he said to me, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, I still struggle with energy and pain. And, and he said, I'm really sorry because our, that's not our intention. Our intention is to get you back into life mm. the way you used to live it. Um, and I think once your body's been through what mine has been through the number of times, it really does have an impact on you. Um, sure. So, you know, my lower back is just drives me insane yeah um but i'm also on some pretty funky drugs for for chest pain yeah um but otherwise in terms of recovery i think it's oh well, sorry and i should say energy i literally just have you know my, my energy levels kind of i was gonna say they peak and trough but they don't peak often mm, <laughs> i kind okay. of just have a, a steady ebb um and so on days, for example, when I do personal training, you can guarantee nine times out of 10, I'm having a snooze that afternoon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, recovery for me really is just making sure that I'm moving. Um, I, I go to the gym most days because I'm, I'm really a big believer in not being stuck in your house. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of how you and I started chatting. So kind of make sure that I leave the house and, and engage with people, even if it's the guy who's making me a coffee. Yeah. So that, you know, I'm not stuck in my own little world. Mm. Um, because everyone else's life moves on, mm. you know, and all, all your friends who and family who look out for you and who do a wonderful job, um, but they have to get on with their life. And, you know, my, I have a new normal, I guess, mm. um, you know, and my new normal does involve a lot of time on my own. Mm. So it's really my responsibility to make sure that I don't get depressed and stuck. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't need to be a couch potato. Yeah. Although signing up to Netflix was a problem. Yeah. 
Well, I mean that you've got a healthy relationship with self care, I guess, and you know, no wonder why with with what you've gone through. Mm. Um, so, are you having to stay on certain medications today, like for the rest of your life, or yep. you know, okay? So I take antibiotics daily, okay, which is also you know potentially a long term challenge. Yeah. Um, but that's to ensure that the bug doesn't come back again. So it's just a prophylaxis, really. Um, so 3,000 milligrams of antibiotics a day, um, painkillers, and blood pressure, blood thinning. That's about all, I think. Yeah. There's a few in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, look, I, I guess for me, too, I still don't like not being able to do what I want to do, but I, I'm also aware enough that I need to manipulate what I do sometimes. Yeah. And, and the an example I'd give you is I used to like riding my bike. Um, and after my last surgery, I just, if any hint of wind, mm. um, you know, headwind, sorry, any, any hint of headwind, and I would just struggle and struggle and struggle. So I just went and got an electric bike. Mm. So I can still pedal, but when I need that little bit of grunt, yeah, yeah. that's there. That's great. It's, it's awesome, actually. Technology's great. I know. I've used them before just to like get around like when I visited like country towns, and it's great because you don't have to sweat your ass off and go out for breakfast and ride to the next place. Oh, yeah. um, pedal if you want. Um, so what, what are the... I mean, you said you mentioned you go to the gym, and like what else do you do to keep yourself, you know... I guess occupied and keep your mind strong like um, you know I, I'm going to ask you soon like if you've got any plugs or places where people can get a hold of you but what other things do you do in the sense of of, of, of you know being normal like what is your normal you know you don't have to run through everything but I'm just interested in some of the things and practices you might have on a day to day basis considering your situation yep um Certainly, one of my big things, and I even do this when I'm a patient in hospital, is get up, have a shower, put clothes on. Yeah. So, you know, you, you kind of get out of your pyjamas. Um, because I think that creates a sense that something's going to happen mm. um, and kind of makes you do things. Um, I do try to get outside every day. Or no, well, I do leave the house every day. Yeah. Um, and <clears> even, <throat> even if I'm having a day off the gym, you know, and I'll go and buy a coffee. Yeah. just to get out of the house. Um, I do watch what I eat. Um, and and I guess I still also have dreams, you know? Mm. So I, I look at the people who do the Eureka Tower climb and they're running up those stairs. And earlier this year, I had a conversation with some friends around that, thinking, mm. you know, wouldn't that be awesome? And mm. got all excited and said, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then reality kicked in. It's like, well, it's just never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but it's still nice to dream. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I still like to find places in the country, or not even in the country, close to Melbourne, say, going to the Dandenongs, mm. where there might be a, a, a walk that's been built that's easy and you know and you can find all that information online these days yeah so it's like well i look those up and we'll organize with friends to go and go for yeah. a walk yeah um we socialize a bit yeah um and when i say a bit you know we we regularly have a a group that goes out for dinner one one night a week yeah um i do mind game kind okay. of stuff yeah are they called mind? brain games not mind yeah. games um so uh, online brain games, um, 
just to keep my brain going as yeah. well. I struggle to read. Okay. Um, so I find with the games, you know, you can put it aside and come back to it. Yeah. Um, I also try not to get too stuck on things on television that um, could suck you in. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess what I mean by that is I'm not going to go and start watching the first episode of season one of Orange is the New Black and go... addictive. Yeah, and then go, well, I've got seven seasons to watch. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't do that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I'll make sure that in between I'll throw in a documentary. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just try to make sure that it's not just mush yeah. in my head. I'm the same, though, with, like, TV series. There's so much good stuff to watch out there. But if I start watching Game of Thrones, like, that's me. You know, like, it's too dangerous. I've got other things that are a bit more important. I've never watched a single second of Game of Thrones. Probably the only man on the planet. Yeah. Um, So are you in, like, are you in contact with any groups and other, like, people that have gone through something like you've gone through and is there a discussion around it? I know you mentioned it earlier. Um. Facebook can be your friend. Yeah. Um, it can also be a bit of an enemy sometimes, but it can be your friend. So yeah. I'd actually never really thought that there'd be support groups, for want of a better word, online um, until after my fifth surgery. Okay. So I'd never looked. Don't even know what made me look. Mm. Um, so I, I've kind of signed up to a few of those sorts of things. And I guess really not for, for anything for me because mm. I'm kind of fairly calm about things. Mm. Um, but to be able to offer, what's the word, you know, I guess offer my story to people so that they can, I can kind of go, you know, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've done some volunteer work with the Heart Foundation. Um, the guy, and I, I meant to say it before, um, the guy doing the documentary, um, he's interviewed myself and Stephen, um, We've actually done a few kind of online videos, like professional type stuff for different organisations yep. around heart health. Okay. So we talk about it. Yeah. Um, Do you know the names of some of those organisations off the top of your head or not? No. That's fine. No. Yeah. But they usually have come via the Heart Foundation yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, so they're a pretty good resource. Yeah. Um, I'm writing a book. Okay. Sort of, kind of. Well, I'm meant to be trying to. Yeah. Um, Again, just to try and get that story out there. And I think, I, I, for me, my engagement and my involvement is that I try to just agitate a lot of my friends, particularly my male friends, mm. who, and I'm not being judgy because I've done exactly what they do, mm. but who just don't look after themselves. Um, and, you know, a couple of them really spring to mind in terms of uh, alcohol consumption. Yeah. And it breaks my heart, for want of a better word. Um, to, just to see see them some some weekends and some days and some yeah. nights and you just look at them and and just go what are you doing to your body mm. and, and again I've done it I'm not judging mm. I I come at it from a place of concern when I see some of my mates who do it you know we're in, we're in our forties yeah there comes a time right and you kind of go well you know go out and have a big night once a week yeah that should be enough yeah maybe maybe. Um, so you've had, after that, just going back after that, um, after your last surgery and, you know, the stroke and all that, um, so how's, how's everything been from after then with, you know, just specifically with your, with your heart condition? Like you haven't had any 
issues, no, even if I had to go back just in case, he obviously hasn't had another surgery. That was number five, which was clearly enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not something to aspire to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have been back a few times um, when I thought I've had endocarditis again. Yeah. Um, and it takes three days for those results to come through. Okay. So if I rock up to St. V's and say, I'm having these symptoms and they think it might be endocarditis, it's, I, I know I'm spending three days in hospital mm. on a drip. Um, but that, that's okay. Um, but effectively, no. Um, I see my GP a lot. I've probably bought some artwork for him or a, a BMW. <laughs> um, and I, I see an osteo locally as well. Um, and I see my surgeon, no, not my surgeon, my cardiologist once a year. Yeah. Um, more regularly if he wants. But at the moment, everything's ticking along nicely. Um, and I see the infectious diseases people once a year just to make sure everything's okay. That's good. Just, just ticking along, really. Yeah. And again, I think I said to you before, you know, my, my heart in some respects is really no different to yours. Yeah. Well, it's not true now, I guess. But, um, but it's like I also say to some people, my heart's probably been looked at more than most people's ever yeah, will yeah. be. So. Yeah, for sure. Mine should be the one that lasts forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the prediction is that you shouldn't need open-heart surgery again? You know, it was funny. When I was in hospital in 2014, and they were just treating me for the endocarditis. Yeah. And I actually had said, you know, if I need to have another heart surgery, I'm not. Okay. Oh, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when there's cardiologist came in and said you need another heart surgery I was like all right where do I sign yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um, in theory no I shouldn't have to have another one um, I suspect my body wouldn't appreciate another one very very much one of the challenges I have now around I'm sorry for jumping in and out but it's no, no. as my brain remembers these things um, but because there's so much scar tissue on my heart as well I do struggle with with breathing sometimes, and that's why I struggle with energy, because my heart can't pump, it can't inflate mm. as fully as it should, therefore it doesn't pump as much as it should. Um, so, you know, that I don't think my heart itself would cope particularly well with another yeah. um, surgery. Mm. I know people have had more than five. Okay. Um, and, you know, everyone's reaction to this stuff's differently yeah, is different for sure um, but yeah I, I can't imagine me yeah. having another one yeah I don't want another one yeah <laughs> well fingers crossed yeah. um, that's man I just want to say thanks for for sharing the story and your journey um, and before we do wrap it up is there anywhere that people can find you or any other plugs you want to give or some information you need to share at all um Oh, if people want to keep themselves um, on top of heart-related information, which some of it's sometimes practical, sometimes it's just, you know, something interesting I've read in the newspaper, um, I've got a Facebook page and an Instagram um, just as That Heart Guy. That Heart Guy. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but, you know, I'm one of those people. And my contact details are on those places as well um, I've got a website which I don't really do much with anymore okay. but again it's that hard guy um, 
my phone numbers on there. Mm. So if people ever want to talk to me, I'm really open to that. Just okay. you know, and it doesn't have to be about you. It could be about your dad or your mum or you know yeah. someone in your life who's having some sort of trouble with with their heart health mm. or they're having surgery or whatever, and you've got questions. I don't mm. have all the answers, but I've got some experience. Mm. So I kind of figure I'm, I'm happy to help. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you know, I don't always get that right. Yeah, <laughs> I remember one one person who's kind of a friend of a friend who messaged me and said, you know, my new husband's about to have heart surgery. What should he do afterwards? And I, I just replied with, just relax. Just make sure he walks, walks, walks. And she replied with, he doesn't have any legs. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, oops. <laughs> so I don't get it right every yeah, time. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, look, happy, happy to chat to you. Yeah, for sure. Really. So. Um, and I guess some closing advice on looking after your heart is... You know, is do it. Is do it. <laughs> stay fit, stay yeah. healthy. Yeah, and do you know what? I know for a lot of people. I mean, we all have every excuse under the sun, but it's not that hard to just make a couple of little changes. Mm. And you know what? If you want to have a, ha- have a hamburger, make it yourself. Yeah. You know, it, it can be as simple as that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look after yourself because I only got one of these. Yeah. Well, thanks again, mate, and thank you for sitting down and having the discussion. That's all right. Um, thanks for letting me. Yeah, no worries, and. I'm sure maybe in the future we might have another sit down on as many other topics to cover. Um, but thanks so much for that. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. Cheers. All right, guys. I hope everyone enjoyed that awesome podcast with that heart guy, Peter Gallagher. Now, if you want to find him on Instagram, it is at that heart guy. And he is, his website is thatheartguy.com.au. And he also has a Facebook page under the same name, That Heart Guy. Well, hope everyone enjoyed it and I'll be speaking to you guys soon. Peace.